0: Welcome back to another season of the Lead with Data podcast. In this exciting new season, we'll be focusing on engaging with leaders in the healthcare and medical sector who are at the forefront of leveraging data. It's evident that this industry has been underserved when it comes to effectively utilizing data, facing challenges with data privacy, data sharing. However, these challenges also present numerous opportunities for the sector to harness the power of data and drive decision-making and research. I'm thrilled to announce that I'll also be joined by my co-owner, Tracy Rowe, who'll be joining me to interview some of these incredible guests. Together, we're eagerly looking forward to discovering, learning, and gaining a deeper understanding of the impacts that data analytics can have in this industry. Stay tuned for some enlightening conversations that will shed light on the potential transformation brought about by data-driven practices in the healthcare and medical sector. Introducing our very first guest for the current season, Emily Ryder-Martins. For those in the field of healthcare analytics, Emily is known for her contribution. With extensive experience spanning across various sectors within the healthcare medical industry, she's worked with health insurance, public health, and government health departments to name a few. Emily's an established, seasoned executive in this space. And on this episode, we delve into the significance of forging partnerships whilst assuming leadership roles in the analytics domain and how to lead a function when working in organisations such as the healthcare sector. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining me on the show today. It's good to to be here. Thanks for the invite. No worries. Look, I'm really excited to... um, Talk to you on this series because I think I mentioned to you when I uh, when I approached you that we want to focus on analytics and data professionals within the medical and health sector. So you're one of my first guests on the show. Um, So just really keen to, I guess, give the listeners a really good insight into what your world's like and, you know, what typically are the kind of skill sets or professions that potentially, um, you know, sort of people can move into um, and the backgrounds that they come from. So we're going to be talking to a number of different leaders across the medical and health sector um, to get sort of a bit of an insight. And I know one of the the topics and, and things that you were particularly passionate about was around the partnership of, um, you know, how do you build those partnerships and how do you collaborate as a team to get the best, you know, best out of your teams and, um, and and providing that value through the business. So I guess, as I always do with my show, I'll get you to start off and just give us a quick background and introduction to yourself.
1: Sure. So I'm Emily Ryder. I'm currently the Chief Analytics Officer at St John of God Healthcare and joined, joined there a couple of months ago. Um, they have 17 hospitals dotted around Australia and are really passionate about using data and analytics to, to deliver better clinical outcomes and better experience um, for, for our community. My, my background, long, long, long time ago, I uh, I qualified as a nurse and then went straight to university and did a law degree, and so I've had a I've had a bit of an unusual route into analytics. Towards the late '90s, probably before a lot of listeners were even born, I uh, <laughs> I moved into kind of the tech space and really started working with GPs in primary care. Um, implementing technology solutions and bandwidth solutions and then moved into hospitals and communities um, and you'll probably get the accent I'm also English so really took a lot of learnings from the NHS and came to us uh, 12 years ago and again worked across Australia most hospitals across Australia at some point I've been involved with their e-health And of course, technology is a really good entryway into data and analytics because if you understand the systems and you understand how information is collected and what it may be used for, you can then think about, well, how do we leverage that then to to drive value for the organisation? So over over the last six years, I've been leading analytics functions um, at the two large health funds here in Australia. And yeah, very excited to be now on the hospital side of things, um, helping the hospital,
0: Excellent. Excellent. Um, and look, you obviously mentioned you've been in the healthcare sector for a number of years, started off um, you know, as a nurse. What do you find most fascinating after all these years when it comes to, I suppose, data across this industry?
1: Yeah, healthcare in
0: Australia,
1: um, the, the data we have probably isn't as structured as ideally we'd like. That being said, we still do have a huge amount of data that we can use to, to really better understand the health needs of, of, you know, of the population. And what fascinates me more is, is actually when you start triangulating health data with other data. So, you know, if you if you want to look at how, how we support asthmatics in the community. Actually, you might look at BOM data, which is obviously, you know, the Bureau of Meteorology, to look at how asthma is associated with, with weather, weather patterns. So you hear of things like thunderstorm asthma. When you're looking at predicting who's going to need um, a knee replacement, you can start looking at people's shopping habits and their eating habits and that kind of thing. And levels of obesity have big connections. So I think The exciting thing for me is as we get bigger and bigger and there's more and more data that isn't just about health, but also the determinants of health, um, we can get a much better understanding of what the needs are uh, of patients and um, hopefully help get in earlier on their their health journey. So rather than wait until you've got um, somebody that needs a knee replacement, that you'll have a programme that will help them maybe be more mobile or manage their weight.
0: Excellent. And and this is why um, I find data so fascinating, because I think what we think of literally, and then what actually you can expand on, and the detail that you can go into, is just so fascinating, whether it's health or any industry. I mean, just that example there that you gave, I mean, I always immediately when I think health and medical data, I think, let's look at what we've got ahead of us and um, analyse that. And what can we do to better service that to provide more solutions, but you're actually talking about The things you can do to prevent that. So it's, um, it's so interesting, you know, when I talk to people like you in terms of, um, you know, how detailed the analysis can get and what you can look at to help really better, like you said, better your, your, you know, your health and the journey that you go through as well in terms of, you know, why you might have got a particular condition um, and the things you can do to prevent that. So it probably leads me really well into my next question that I was sort of interested in asking you is for the listeners benefit. And, you know, for mine, as well, as I said, it's an industry that we all know about. It's very close to home in terms of everything we do in life, but give us some insight into the types of analysis and data sets that get used, whether it's in the hospital or, you know, in in the medical insurance industry, like, what, what kind of data sets and, and um, analysis are you guys doing?
1: Yeah, so, I, I mean, if I give you a, an example of a, a model that we've built kind of on the private health insurance fund side of things. So we wanted to be able to predict which of our customers are likely to have a hospital admission and to have a high cost hospital admission and to understand what what some of the types of admissions were and where there were opportunities to to prevent or to delay kind of the onset of ill health. And we looked at over 1,500 variables, you know, to model um, and understand what the drivers were. And prior to that, we'd have a clinical team looking at at Excel spreadsheets predominantly, looking at Excel spreadsheets, trying to figure out, you know, which which we thought were likely to be the high risk, you know, customers, and um, but by actually using data and using statistical modelling, you know, we're able to achieve those predictions far more accurately, and it means that if you're if you're targeting a group of people, so maybe a group of people that have diabetes and are at risk of, you know, heart disease that you can identify who they are much earlier and, as I said, put programmes in place. On the other side, though, where you've got people that are in hospital, you can also get a better understanding of what kind of experiencing experience they're getting at hospital. Um, are they getting good clinical outcomes? So, you know, one of the things we might look at is things like readmission rates. Because obviously when you go into hospital for a procedure, you only want to go in once and you want to go home and you want to get well. Yeah. Um, So, you know, if we're seeing hospitals that have very high readmission rates, understanding what's driving those. And of course, that that can mean changes in practice in the hospitals, which which is fantastic because it means patients get a better experience. We're very evidence based in how we decide to do things. Um, And it's more cost effective for hospitals and for health funds to really get, get that kind of optimum best clinical experience that patients can get when they're in when they're in hospital
0: yeah yeah and when it comes to I guess um problems that your teams and this might not be directly your teams because I you know I think like with most organizations I suspect analytics lives in different parts of the organization and then it all kind of Feeds into one central point. How are they typically structured? Just to give us a bit of an idea. So, say for example, where you are now, um, how would that be structured from an analytical, you know, perspective? So, we're,
1: we're going through the process of really imp- implementing a hub and spoke model. So, the hub really being a very specialized function that supports the hub, the spokes, which are really the analysts that are in various group services in the hospitals. To help them solve problems so you know an example might be we're looking at procurement and we want to look at how we procure gloves and you know we've got 17 hospitals they may all be procuring slightly different versions of the same stuff and it actually it's not very cost effective so we want to support procurement in how do we get better economies of scale by having you know a catalogue that is consistent across all of the hospitals and in that case you know we we'd have an expert in the hub that would work with that procurement analyst who understands the details and has real deep domain knowledge around how we procure things and what what their financial impacts are. So yeah, so we have this Hub and Spoke. My aim really is that the hub is a partner to all of the components of the organisation. So whether it's a group service like procurement or it's an individual hospital. Or, you know, it's our clinical director that's looking at our clinical KPIs that's saying, how many falls do we have in, in hospital? You know, unfortunately, falling over in hospital is a lot more common than than you, you, you'd like to think. But understanding what are some of the reasons why people fall um, and actually being able to look at the data and say, well, we know if there's a handover shift, shift handover that, you know, people maybe are not as closely supervised and so we're seeing more falls during that period. So again, we can start changing practices to to reduce the risk.
0: Yeah, yeah. And do um, just, you know, a a lot of organisations look at efficiency and streamlining and speed of service and things like that. Is this something that's a focus for hospitals in terms of, um, or, you know, do you have the capability to measure efficiency and speed things like that in terms of you know being able to because I mean ultimately it's it's human beings, right, that are operating and 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 keeping these hospitals going and working. How do you model and manage and analyze the efficiencies that you have?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because hospitals have um, a finite set of resources, and you know St John of God is a not-for-profit organisation, which is great because our, our profits go back into back into the community. But whilst we're not a not-for-profit, we still need to be a financially sustainable organisation, yes. which means that everything that we do needs to be efficient and effective. And so looking at how we use our theatre space, for example, we want to make sure that we're getting you know, the, the best value from that theatre space. And of course, the best value is making sure that patients smoothly go through theatres, And that we get good, good levels of utilisation of the theatres, that the equipment is there, that the medical officers need, um, that we're discharging people quickly. So there's a whole kind of process. um, And I, I guess we've got to build probably better data to understand That end-to-end process um, which is something that we'll definitely do over time but there are elements of the process that we can start looking at so you know we can start looking at how long it takes to get a patient for example from the ward to theatre whether there's delays you you know for example if you've got a whole team sat in theatre kind of twiddling their thumbs waiting for somebody to arrive from the ward that it's it's really inefficient and very costly yeah because running running a theater's team is is a very expensive thing to do so i so say you want to get the patients going through so, so we we're, we're starting to kind of chunk that up but yeah I, I think in in private health um there's relatively few hospitals that have an electronic health record yeah and so we're also having to think outside of the box around what do we do with some of our scanned records and this is where technology you know such as kind of image to text um you know is is changing changing how we can think about things
0: yeah yeah it's really interesting because it is you know when you sort of you don't have that collection of data points because it's you know it's people people mm-hmm. movement and people it, you know can add a bit of a challenge can't it to you know how you can you can capture those processes and data points to be able to analyze and assess that um yeah. Excellent. And from a medical and health sector, obviously, it's quite specialised. And this is something we've discovered as an organisation, we're working with a number of medical and health institutes at the moment. And, um, um, you know, we find that it is very um, specialised in terms of domain knowledge and things like that. But we're also finding that there probably isn't as many skilled people that have that medical and health background. So, from an analytics perspective, how how have you or, or how do you think we could navigate navigate that? You're right in that um, we have very, very specific clinical terminology. So whether
1: we're talking about SNOMED CT codes or um, ICD-10 or DRG codes. So we've got this whole set of coding and it's incredibly complex. However, it is learnable but it takes time. And and certainly, you know, my experience is if you've got a really good data scientist, they'll actually learn this stuff pretty quickly. But this is also having a data scientist that is able to strongly communicate with the business, who's able to say, well, what does that mean and how does that work? But I, I certainly look for a balance in my team of, you know, people that are experienced data scientists that also have that understanding of health terminology and then we build we bring kind of more junior team junior team members then to join the team and to learn so to learn from um, data scientists that understand the area but also to learn from the business yeah. um so i think th- it, it is a tricky one it is a tricky one but and um, both my my last previous organizations you know some of our strongest leaders actually didn't come from a health background yeah And. Um, so it definitely is an area that you can you can learn but the organization also got to give you space and time to learn and sometimes that can be quite difficult in more senior roles.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And what do you think um, are the the common challenges that somebody who perhaps doesn't come from a medical and health sector um, would have coming into say say a say a senior just a senior data analyst role? What do you think would be probably the initial challenges that they might have versus somebody who has come from that background?
1: Yeah, I think I think the biggest challenge, and certainly some of the the areas that I've seen, are people that are very technically very strong is that they make incorrect assumptions. Um, And so they end up leaving groups of data in scope when they should be out or leave them out of scope when they should be in, which gives kind of a misleading insight, you know, from the modeling that you're doing. So, um, you know, for example, you know, if you're looking at uh, an orthopaedic procedure, there might be some slight nuances with that procedure that gives you different codes. And on the face of it, you'd look at them and say, well, that's not in scope. But without the kind of knowledge around clinical terminology, y- you wouldn't know any different. But this is where working with your business partner really helps. So you can say, I've included this in scope. Have I missed anything? And that you you can learn uh, along the way, um, but uh, but certainly that domain knowledge. Um, it depends on the work, though, doesn't it? I mean, there's some work that we do that is highly highly clinical and is using a lot of our um, clinical terminology, but then there's other work that we do. So looking at you know our culture and our workforce, and how do we make sure that you know our workforce have experience of a great culture right across the organisation. Um, and how does that affect how we perform? So that 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 kind of thing, you know, you could you've definitely got transferable knowledge yeah. for, from from any organisation that has a workforce, which is pretty much all of us, isn't it? So yeah. so th- there are definitely elements of what we do that um, that you don't need that clinical domain knowledge.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the things you talked about when we were sort of discussing you coming on the show was around building really strong partnerships um, and. And that being kind of quite a core sort of, I suppose, not requirement, but something that you believe is quite core to being successful and being able to drive value um, across an organisation. Can you tell us a bit more about that and your views on that, Emily?
1: Yeah, so I think of kind of data science and analytics as really part of the problem solving team. And, you know, we, we should always start with, you know, what's the problem? What's the decision we're trying to make? What's the opportunity we're looking to leverage? Um, and it really is having the, the analytics team working with the business team and the finance team and the clinical team to understand the problem. So, you know, taking the time to really genuinely understand and then to to be able to contribute by, well, actually, these are some of the analytical approaches or solutions that may help solve that problem. So, you know, one example we had was um, in in a previous organisation, we were receiving images of receipts um, uh, for people making claims on their extras product. Um, And at the time, we weren't able to read those receipts But we needed to understand the information in the receipts to to confirm that they were genuine Mm -hmm. and and they were in line with the claim that had been made. And actually what the team were able to do is work with the business to develop, um, you know, a a model that was able to actually extract the information from the image. And by extracting the information from the image, obviously the business then had better data to be able to make decisions. Yeah. Um, But uh, it is that problem solving team and business owner is never going to understand all of the technical kind of opportunities the analytical opportunities and one of the big challenges i think of a lot of organizations is is the data literacy of the business so i do think the analytics team plays just such a vital role in actually helping build that data literacy so when i'm given information as a business leader i should be able to say where's the data from is it complete are there any quality issues? Um, is it statistically relevant? Is it material? Um, are we trending in line with what we forecast? And, and actually, you want business leaders that can ask those kind of questions. So, the kind of analysts certainly I, I look to recruit are really, really strong communicators, um, people that ask lots of good questions and um, people that are able to kind of share and explore different ways of thinking and doing things. But they're part of the, the problem-solving team.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how well um, or how much work do you think needs to be done from the adoption of analytics in the medical field. So you know, I mean, we we, we work with some educational institutes, and I know one of the challenges they've, they've had in the past where you've got the analytics team is is working with the professors and the academics because they don't necessarily understand that world. So you know, they've they've gone through and are going through a journey of uh, probably uh, you know, on your point of data literacy, is is working with the business and educating them and seeing them getting them to see the value of that, do you feel that you um, have that challenge or you've still got some work to do in that space in the medical sector? Do you find some resistance from certain parts of the business?
1: Yeah, I guess it's probably a bit of a mixed bag, um, you know, when you work with clinicians that, you know, tend to be very evidence based in their practice, you know, most clinicians love data
0: yeah.
1: uh, and, and actually can't get enough of it. Um, and one of the challenges we have is actually making the right kind of data available for the right people at the right time. So that's so that's a big challenge. Um, but like most organizations we we have a legacy of very manual ways of doing things. you know I mentioned that we have a, a scanned medical record, which means you know we're still writing paper notes and and that's very common across uh, you know private hospitals across Australia. So there's definitely work. Um, that we need to do to systematise. But I think health generally tends to be a bit behind other sectors. Yeah. So, you know, when you look at telcos and banking, you know, their use of data analytics is very, you know, systematised. And it's a very different experience if if you want a career in data science. So in banking, you're much more likely to be part of a team that has maybe a narrow scope of focus. Yeah. So you might be doing, you know, uh, data modelling on credit checking, but you'll be doing the same kind of thing repeatedly. One of the, I think one of the advantages of health and where we are in terms of maturity as a sector is that you get to explore lots of different, you know, solutions, different ways of thinking. You know, you might do some natural language processing one day and do some clustering work, you know, a few days later. So, as I say, you, you get to try and test, you know, a lot more kind of skills and capabilities and to grow them. So, but in order to do that, you probably need a different skill set. So that that communication and that critical thinking yeah. and problem solving is is a bit different to what you may need in a in a more kind of focused team in a bank.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's really interesting where you say that the clinicians, um, if anything, you probably can't keep up with how much how much you can give them. So it's almost the other side of the fence, isn't it? Is it, you know they're probably hungry for as much as much data as you can give them, and sometimes it's like trying to figure out what's a value and what's not. So um, yeah. yeah, no, that that's um, yeah, it's great. It's great to sort of get some insight into that. And then I guess in terms of the core foundational skills that you think you know are important to have a career in analytics in the medical sector, what would you what would you say there would be, or I suppose, and, and we touched on this when we spoke prior to the podcast um, as well, that there isn't there's other professions that probably haven't considered a career in analytics, but what you know, what kind of individuals or um or you know skill sets do you think could be a good foundation for a career in um, in medical or health? So I, I think any kind of profession
1: that's got a bit of a quant background, certainly in the health space. And um, I've worked with a number of pharmacists, and again, pharmacists tend to be really look at data very heavily in yeah. how, how we kind of um, use pharmaceuticals, and so they enjoy kind of really being in the in the depth of data and understanding and. Looking at how we can manipulate it to to solve problems, um, engineers I've also found make really really good data analysts. Um, I do I tend to I do tend to look though for people that have got that quant a uh, quantitative education. Um, so you know that you've got a master's degree in data science or yeah data analytics or computer science. Um, but I have to say some of the strongest data scientists I've worked with have also been engineers. So I I do find engineers are very good at at the critical thinking component, because it's not just about the modelling, you you know, that's one component, it is around breaking down understanding processes and, you know, understanding what outcome we're trying to achieve. Um, And then engineering solutions, which is why I do think that engineering background is often, is often really strong.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, and um, yeah, look, I think the engineering component is certainly, even in data sciences, in broadly is playing such a big, big key now, because it's not, like you said, it's not just building a model, but it's about understanding the, you know, all the Moving parts that come with that. So um, we often um, work with organisations who say they want a data scientist who's perhaps had some engineering or been some sort of engineer in the past. Because of that building and that ability to think sort of broadly, rather than just just about that particular problem, they can think about things that, like you said, a bit a bit more broadly. So yeah, it is interesting that um, you know those kind of individuals could could um, you know move into a career into into this field as well. I think that the, the other thing, Rena, for, for me is, you know, if you did
1: a degree fifteen years ago, and I haven't seen any further development, uh, that the skills are moving so so quickly in this space. You know, you also want to really attract people that have got that kind of self de- self development mindset, um, and that are, you know, looking at learning new skills, new languages, you know, going on courses, and, and that kind of thing. It's not an area you can sit still with um, yeah. very long. And you know, I'm very excited by things like ChatGPT and contextual AI and how we're going to leverage that. And of course, there aren't skills in the marketplace. With contextual AI capabilities, because it's only been around five minutes,
0: and yeah. um,
1: you can see that 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 sort of skill is going to come in high demand very quickly. And um, so, again, it's embracing these new technologies as they come along and thinking about okay, so how could how could I critically use that in an organisation to add value?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, with regards to AI and machine learning, is that sort of something that is? broadly used at the moment in the medical and um, health sector? I imagine in the health insurance sector it probably is, but is it being used in hospitals and community care and those kind of organisations? Probably
1: not universally.
0: There'll be
1: pockets of it. Um, I mean, one area where AI is really coming to the fore is on diagnostics and radiology imaging. So, you know, best breast cancer screens now um, actually you get a, a more accurate result from an ai interpreting the the image than you would from a, a radiographer yeah um, but you still need the radiographer to teach the ai and yeah. um, and that's going to be the case for for a long time but um, certainly we're getting better um, and there's lots of there's lots of opportunity in, in this space to to think about how we can leverage ai and You know, an area may be things like decision making. So, you know, helping patients make better decisions, helping clinicians have some support to make better decisions um, so that we can actually learn from from practice. Um, It's still, I I would say there are pockets of it probably um, more in, as you say, in, in the research area. We're probably not as advanced as the States, for example, in this space, but it's definitely an area that, uh, you know, Australia is very keen to move into. So,
0: yeah. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. And look, lastly, it probably ties in quite well with, you know, where do you see... Things evolve over the next few years. I mean, are there any particular areas that I suppose, as a medical and health industry, that from an analytics perspective, that that you feel could grow or change um, over the next few years? Is there any particular things that you're hearing at the moment? Yeah. So, I mean, clinical
1: research is 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 a is a big field that obviously pharmaceutical companies and you know most health organisations will have a, a research component. And and as we get better at collecting data, we get a far deeper understanding of the burden of disease and what what we can do to really change the trajectory of people being ill or hospitalised. And I do think there are still lots of processes and ways of working across the sector that are very manual. And, you know, you can see already, you know, things like chatbots replacing very large call centres and and moving more to kind of self service capability so so clinicians will be able to self service and access the data about their practices and uh, and look at you know how they compare to their peers but also patients being able to have better quantified self so i don't know about you but i've got my fitbit Yes. Yeah, um, i've got mine too <laughs> with, with, the, with the internet of things we're all generating actually a lot of data about health more broadly and You know, I see people taking a lot more interest in their own health data, but it's how do we then use that with practices in hospital and how patients get treated at their GPs to really do that continuous improvement and, I say, reduce or eliminate people getting sick in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's such a fascinating industry and certainly an area that I think there's so much potential. And over the years, I think we'll start to see some real, real, growth in in how things are done and you know the analysis and and you know what we can understand from what's going on but thank you so much Emily it's been it's been a really interesting discussion and I think there's been some really good things that you've shared there and some insights into what it's like to be in your world but look I always ask the guests as well because I obviously post this on LinkedIn are you happy for if there's anyone in the network that wanted to reach out to you and had a question for you happy for them to pin you and connect with you yeah
1: absolutely no problem
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you.